0: Well, good morning once again, everybody. And uh, we'll, we'll try to get that back on here in just a minute. But um, um, th- thank you so much for uh, your very gracious, kind acknowledgement uh, a few moments ago of the 25th. Um, that uh, that picture put it all in perspective. It uh, actually had hair uh, back back when I first came, at least a little bit anyway. Didn't take long for it to fall out. But it, that, that's the life of a pastor, right? <laughs> oh, um, well, I hope you're already enjoying a wonderful Labor Day weekend and a happy Labor Day weekend to you. And uh, in light of the fact that it's a holiday, I, I thought I would start out with a little bit of Labor Day levity. Is that okay? Labor Day levity. Three stories, three stories. One uh, is about the guy that went to fill out an employee application form, and he got down to the part on the form where it says who is asking who to contact in case of an emergency. And he wrote, a really good doctor. (laughs) They get better, I promise. (laughs) Second story, a Spanish magician was right in the middle of his act one night, up on stage, right in the middle of his act, when all of a sudden he announced, he said, on the count of three, I am going to disappear. He began to count, uno, dos, then poof, he was gone. Headline in the paper the next day read, Magician disappears without a trace. <laughs> uh, I told you they were going to get better, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Third story, uh, a, a father and his son who just finished college, not just finished college, he'd been out of college for about a year, still hadn't gotten a job yet, and they're sitting there talking, and his dad finally said, son, you got to get a job. Son said, why? Said, so you can make money. Well, why do I want to make money? Is it so you can put in the bank and it can make interest. He said, well, why? He said, well, so, so that one day when you're, you're old enough and you you not want to work anymore. Son said, I'm not working now. <laughs> That's all my stories, I, I promise. That's it. <laughs> oh, well, I, I actually thought we would... <laughs> I wanted to start out with some levity because I thought on this Labor Day weekend, we'd actually give some serious thought to our labor, to our work. You know, we don't often stop to do that very often. And I have to say that even though the workplace has always been intriguing, perhaps never more so in these last couple of years, right? I was reading an article published by Psychology Today online in which that was entitled, The Great Resignation. You've heard that term, right? The Great Resignation, Why People Aren't Returning to Work. And the author said this, one of the significant social changes wrought by the pandemic is the shift in attitudes about work. Why we do it, the conditions we do it under, the meaning and place it has in our lives, and the impact it has on our families. Although unemployment is at its lowest level in years, fewer people are entering or re-entering the job market. And then the author interviewed a middle-aged father who had joined in that great resignation, and he made this statement. If there's one thing the pandemic taught me, it's that life is unpredictable, short, and too precious to waste on work that does not make me happy or the world a better place. So let's talk about work this morning. The primary thing I want you to know today is that your work matters. Your work really matters to God. It does, plain and simple. And my prayer for you this morning is that when you leave here, you will be encouraged in your work and reassured of just how much it does indeed matter to God. Your work really matters to God. Well, this assurance begins with understanding the right mindset for work. I I think many Christians mistakenly approach all of life with what you might call a two-story mindset. Uh, picture a building with a top story and a bottom story. In the top story, people think, "Well, well, that's that's where the you know, that's where the sacred things take place." And then the bottom story is where the secular things take place. So the top story things are things that we, you would think of they you would associate of a spiritual nature, things like going to church, uh, going to Bible study, uh, prayer, uh, being involved in, in ministry, doing mission projects. You know, Again, things that we would typically associate as being spiritual kind of things. But then in the bottom story then are things like entertainment or sports or hobbies. And many people would put in that secular category Your work. But is that the fact? Again, until you, what you do is you get in your mind this this whole concept that it's not until I leave work. And then go to participate in something that is of a spiritual nature that I'm actually entering into that top story, that I'm doing something that really matters to God. The top story really matters to God. The bottom story does not really matter to God. It's not significant to Him. So, for example, if, if, if you chose to live this next week with that two-story mindset, um, and, and so you, when you go back to work, whether that's tomorrow or whether that's Tuesday, hopefully Tuesday, hopefully you have the day off tomorrow, but when you return to work, you go back to work on Tuesday, and so you're, in, you're, you know, you're walking right into that bottom story. Continue that bottom story all day while you're at work, and then the next day, Wednesday, you're back at work again. You're back in that bottom story, the things that don't really matter all that much to God, until, until Wednesday night, you go to your Wednesday night Bible study, and that's, you have now entered the top story, the part that, that God really thinks is significant, that really matters to him. And then when you go to men's Bible study on Thursday morning, you're still in that top story Uh, until you go back to work again the rest of the day on Thursday, and then again back to work on on Friday, and you're still in that bottom story until you get to leave work then on Friday and go to celebrate recovery Friday night. And then uh, on Saturday, you you get to do that mission project. And then you're back at church on on Sunday, so you have a whole weekend that you spend in the top story. I mean, that's eternally significant, right? (laughs) Let me ask is that two story view of life biblical? No, not at all. Not at all. In God's mind, from His point of view, all of life is sacred. All of life. Your work, is sacred. I, th- I think one of the reasons you know that, that many Christians have thought of work as a bottom story kind of thing is because of the mistaken idea that there was no such thing as work until after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and that a part of their punishment was that they were forced to work at that point. <laughs> no, not true at all. Long before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, God had already put this to place in chapter in place in chapter 2 chapter 2 verse 15 the book of Genesis the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what work it and take care of it again before sin ever entered the world God had already established work as a key part of creation he created work to be a blessing Now, something did change after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden about the nature of work. The context changed, and the content changed. The context changed, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, "...so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken." One of the consequences of their sin is that they were moved out of the garden. But also the content changed. Chapter 3, verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. See, that was another consequence of their sin. Prior to their sin, they worked, but it was, and it was fulfilling, but it was hassle-free. After they sinned, that's when hassles entered into the work process. Anybody ever had hassles at work? You experienced that? Now you know who to blame it on, right? Now you know exactly where to put the blame. Adam and Eve goes all the way back that far. Friends, your work matters to God. It has inherent spiritual value for several reasons. First of all, because God himself, God himself is a worker. Psalm 111 verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. God is a worker. He was at work in creation. He's working his word. He's working his people God works. God the Son is a worker. John chapter 4, verse 34. My food, <clears throat> my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his, what? His work. God the Holy Spirit is a worker as well. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he Determines, work, is a, is a part of the Trinitarian nature of God. and it, it means that, that we're actually more like him when we work. In fact, God created us to be his co-workers. Think about that. Back, in, back to creation story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Lord said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may, in essence, I'm I'm putting this in there, so that they may partner with God to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, that's why we saw in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, when we we read the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. We are partners with God in his work in this world. Now, be careful at this point. It's not that related to the Garden of Eden, it's not that God had to have Adam work the garden. It's not that he had to have that in order for the garden to be taken care of. God could have easily taken care of the garden. He could have created the garden where it didn't have to be taken care of. He could have just zapped it every now and then taking care of the garden himself. But Instead, God intentionally intentionally chose to create the garden in such a way that it allows, it allowed Adam and and his creation as a whole allows us to be partnering with him to take care of his creation, to take care of his creation. You remember the old story about the the farmer who uh, found the old farm that was just really, really in bad shape, dilapidated. I and mean, the, the fields were overrun by weeds. There was old farm equipment laying around disrepair and some completely broken. The farmhouse itself was in shambles. And when he but when he got a hold of that, I mean he began to work hard in fixing that place up. He cultivated the fields. I mean he, he either repaired or replaced the, the broken down farm equipment. He, he renovated the farmhouse. I mean it was gorgeous. Well, one day this pastor comes driving along and the farmer's out there working in the hot sun. The pastor pulls up alongside him and says, man, you and God have really done a fantastic job in this place. And the farmer brushes the sweat from his brow and says, yeah, you should have seen it when God had it all to himself. (laughs) Our work is a partnership with God. We are in business, in essence, together with God. The ancient saint, theologian, and philosopher said, uh, Augustine once wrote, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Our work is an extension of God's work. It's an extension of his work. For instance, again, part of God's work, as we read just a moment, a few moments ago in Psalm 111, is to provide for the needs of His children. We talk about purpose and work. Your work helps people meet the needs of their own families, much less your family, or much more so your family. I mean, you have the opportunity to help meet the needs of others as you partner with God in this world. Well, that's the mindset. But we also need to have the right motivation as we approach our work. And what is that? It's really captured in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul writes, If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Now, that verse essentially describes two different ways a person can be motivated. One, a person can choose to be motivated by the sinful nature that is being self-driven. Or a Christian can choose to be Holy Spirit-motivated, spirit-driven. Well, what does self-driven motivation look like? A person that that is self-driven approaches their work with certain assumptions, the biggest of which is this, that success is measured only in the eyes of the world, only in the eyes of the world. So that means that a self-driven person is only going to be content and fulfilled as they are deemed to be successful by the standards of the world. it's only at that point that they're going to feel loved, that they're going to feel content, that they're going to feel fulfilled, that they're going to be accepted by others. And it's only at that point that they're actually going to actually begin to feel that, you know, that they can control their own destiny and life if they're successful enough. Well, that's. Uh, every one of those assumptions is false. And it's, it's such an easy trap for Christians to fall into. But think about this for a moment. How many times, how many times have you heard the testimony? of someone who arrived at that place in life where from the world's point of view, they were incredibly successful. And they arrived at the pinnacle of, of everything that they had ever hoped for, ever hoped to achieve. And yet, they got there and they looked around and what did they say? Is this all there is? Is this really all there is? They get to the top only to discover it was just a pipe dream. But Romans 8, 6 also says, if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. You can choose to be self-driven or you can choose to be Holy Spirit-driven, Christ-driven. And when you're Holy Spirit-driven, that's an entirely different set of assumptions. In fact, in those assumptions begin, the, the overarching one is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, which says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In other words, for the Christ-driven, for the Spirit-driven person, success is not something that happens when you reach the top or you just get a, a bunch of money, but rather, success happens when you give glory to God by whatever it is that you're doing. A Christ-driven person finds his or her significance not in the accolades of this world, but they find it in their personal identity in Jesus Christ as someone who has been created in the image of God, as someone who is unconditionally loved by him. Friends, never, never, never Confuse your work with your worth. Never. Many people grow up being told or taught one way or another that you're not going to be worth anything until you prove it. You might pick that up from a parent. You might pick that up from a teacher or a coach or some other significant person in your life. And so all this year, you go through all the years as you're not only growing up, but as you become an adult and start going to work with a thought that's dominating your thinking all the time, well, I'm going to show them. I am going to prove them wrong. That's a dead-end motivation, dead-end, because with that kind of motivation, you never arrive at a point where you feel like you've accomplished enough, because you'll always wonder, well, is that enough? Have I proved it to them now? Your work has great value, great purpose, but it was never intended by God to be your primary source of self-worth. You don't have to be a great success in the eyes of the world or anyone else in order to be a success in God's eyes. Ultimate source of your self-esteem should never come from your job should never come from your money your net worth never determines your self-worth your self-worth again always based upon who you are in jesus christ so as holy spirit christ-driven driven people what should our goals be then what should our goals be As we've already said, the overarching goal is to glorify God, but how do we go about doing that? Well, I I picked out one verse, one of of my very favorite verses in the New Testament that in essence sort of gives us a concise answer to that question. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who he's kind of mentored in the faith, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You see, the first goal of your work is to please God. He's who you want to please first and foremost, to please God. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. So when all you do, ask the question, is the Lord well pleased? Is God well pleased with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it? You see, as Christ followers, the one you want to please first is not the boss of the company, it's the boss of your life, right? Back when, uh, fun to see that old picture on on the screen a few minutes ago, because my uh, daughter Becca uh, was just about... just a couple of years younger than that. Actually, she was about four years old when this happened at church. We were serving in Little Rock and uh, and she was in in her Sunday school class one morning and and one of the kids was trying to tell her what to do, which she doesn't appreciate very much. (laughs) And a little kid was trying to tell her what to do and she said, you're not the boss of me. My daddy is the boss of this church. (laughs) Well, I appreciated the sentiment, but that's not quite right, is it? (laughs) God is the boss of our life. God's the boss of our church. God is the boss of our lives. Colossians three twenty three: work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And then second, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, work hard, work hard. Don't ever let it be said of you that you are lazy or that you even appear to be lazy. Work hard. Always ask, is my work well done? Is the Lord well pleased and is my work well done? Am I working hard? And then third, be a Christ follower who correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, uh, as you work, are, are you doing your work according to the truths and the principles that are found in the Word of God? Ask yourself, is the Word well used? Are you letting God's Word be your guide to all the decisions that you have to make each and every day? The smallest decisions, the biggest decisions. Are you letting God's Word be your guide? Are you letting God's Word give you guidance? Are you letting the Scripture guide you in terms of your relationships with others at work? See, the Bible always calls us to be give first kind of people, give first people, a serve first kind of person. Uh, one of my favorite seminary professors, even though I, I didn't, he he was a professor at another seminary, but I heard him speak in numerous times and appreciated his ministry so much. Dr. Howard Hendricks used to say, God is looking for full-service Christians in a self-serving world. So true. God is never impressed with our status, but he is always impressed with our service. Wow. Too many times we go to our work as though we're just marking time. But God's desire for us is to mark lies. To mark lies. And we do that when we choose to be give first kind of people. Beloved, your work matters to God. It really matters to God. I, I want to close with, with a, a wonderful verse from God's Word. Um, Psalm chapter 90 and verse 17. Let the loveliness of our Lord, our God, rest on us, confirming the work that we do. Oh, yes. Affirm the work that we do. I'd like to close this message with prayer, and I want to pray that verse for you. Can I do that this morning? Let's pray together. Father, I pray for each one here today and those that may be listening online as well this morning. That as we return to our jobs this week, I pray that they would know and experience the loveliness of our Lord, the loveliness of you resting upon them, resting upon them. Father, I pray that you would confirm the work that each and every person does. Lord, truly affirm that work. We pray that that affirmation of your Spirit, again, will rest clearly and definitively upon each and every one. We thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.